0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would, please turn with me to the book of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 2, and we'll be in verse 1 together. So, our sermon series... This year uh, for Advent is Joy of Every Longing Heart. And so, what we've been looking at is how Jesus coming uh, answers and brings coherent answers to the four big questions that humans have been asking since there's been humans, right? So, those questions are origin, like where did we come from? Meaning, why are we here? Morality, what should we do? And destiny, where are we headed? And so over the last few weeks, we've covered those first three, and that leads us this week into the question of destiny. Where are we headed? And so we're going to start tonight in Luke chapter 2. We'll read that and use that as a launch pad to uh, end up where we're going to end up. So I hope you're in Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, we will have the scriptures on the screens for you. If you don't own a Bible, please let us know before you leave, because we'd really like to give you one uh, as a gift. So... Praise God for that. I'm in Luke 2. We're going to be in verse 1, going to verse 20. Here we go. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee and from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Praise God for his word. Amen. So we're going to look tonight at how the birth of Christ informs our understanding of where we are headed, our destiny. And uh, I've broken that up tonight into four main points. And I've alliterated those points as uh, an act of love to those of my friends who come from a Baptist background. Uh, It's not necessarily my favorite way to do it, but every once in a while, I throw them a bone. So uh, you're going to get four R's tonight. And uh, the first is that Jesus came, and and remember, all of this is in, in the context of looking forward to our future. Jesus came so that we can reside with him, so that we can reside with him. It's interesting we see here... In Luke 2, there was no place for Jesus, but we have a promise that Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. I'm going to read from, uh, for you John 14, verses 1 through 4. It says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. There is an unfortunate tendency for us to miss the most beautiful and wonderful part of this promise that Jesus makes to those who follow him. The King James Version translates the word dwelling places here as mansions, and uh, that can be unfortunate because this has led to many people Imagining each person ending up in some custom-built, like MTV cribs-style mega house in heaven. Okay, I've actually heard people say, "Oh, well, I hope my mansion has a pool," or "I hope my mansion has a giant, ever-flowing chocolate fondue fountain," right, or whatever the thing is that <laughs> that uh, they would hope for. Um, and just to be, I'm not sure, okay, because the Bible is not clear what our living accommodations will be like in eternity. And while imagining the possibilities about that, that may not be a sin, it is missing the precious point being made in these verses, okay? Because the greatness of the glimpse into our future that we get here from Jesus is not where we will live or what we will live in, but who we will live with. Verse 3, again for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That is the most precious and beautiful point of this promise, that where he is, we will be able to be. And here's the truth. If we're honest with ourselves, we need to be self-aware and then honest. We all struggle with the tendency... To love what Jesus can give us or what he can do for us more than Jesus himself. We know this is a perennial human issue. This is part of why Jesus told the parable of the prodigal son. Really, it's it's better phrased the prodigal sons because the first son just wanted the father's stuff that was very clearly visible in the fact that he came and said, basically, I wish you would die. Give me my inheritance. It's less clear, though, when the elder son is not willing to come in and party when his Father comes back and, and all he's talking about is, well, I've been here the whole time and, and now you're using your resources to celebrate for him. What about me? See, we it, it manifests itself in different ways, but we all have this tendency to struggle with wanting God's stuff, wanting God's blessing more than we want him. But the great promise we have here is that we get to be with him and This question has been asked often. You've probably encountered it if you've been around Bible preaching for any amount of time, but honestly, this question is worth asking ourselves every day, and not just in some religious mantra-type way, but in a real heart-inspecting, honest, introspective way. Here's the question. If we could have heaven with no pain or death, and we could have all of the rich opulence that we see described in the scriptures, but... Jesus wouldn't be there, would we still want to go? If you could have all of the rest of the promises of heaven except for the presence of Jesus, would you still want to be there? That's a good question, friends. It'll help us find out where we're at, where our affections are, and what they're set upon. The second thing I'm going to give you, so that was that Jesus came so we can reside with him. What a precious promise talking about what our future looks like, what's our destiny. The second I'm going to give you is that Jesus came so that we can rest in him, so we can rest in him. Jesus came and did all the work needed so that we can rest. Now, I'm going to read you a section of Scripture as we unpack this from Hebrews 4. It's going to seem a little bit disjointed at first, but just stick with me. I promise you it's not and you'll be glad we went here, okay? I'm in Hebrews 4, starting in verse 4. Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For if indeed we have good news preached to us, just as they also... Pause. The they he's talking about is those who were being led by Moses and headed towards the promised land. That's the they, okay? So if we have good news preached to us, just as they also... But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day, today, saying, through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works. So God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience, okay? So that was about as clear as a peppermint mocha, right? Most of us have no idea why I'm here. I didn't actually intend to make an espresso joke. This was from Hebrews. There you go. It's a free gift for you, all right? Here's here's the thing, and I I don't have time to break this whole passage down, and that's not why we're here. Basically, what is happening, what what the author of Hebrews is doing here is, is he's making an argument about eternal rest, and he's making the argument that he's making from the story of God's people not being able to enter into the promised land, because why? What did he say? They didn't believe the good news they had preached to them that the good news they had preached to them was, God has this awesome land for you. You're going to go and you're going to inhabit it. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's everything you ever hoped for. It's the exact opposite of being enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. But what happened? They didn't trust in that good word. It was about belief. The disobedience that he talks about, it wasn't He's not referencing their all of their grumbling, and complaining, all the sins they may have committed between the Red Sea and getting up to the border of the Promised Land. That wasn't the point. The whole point, the whole point of reference is what they believed. In verse 3, he says, we who have believed enter that rest. And the point the writer of Hebrews is making here, his point... It coincides perfectly with the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Here's what he says. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Anybody in here on any day in the last month, that describes you. Weary and heavy laden. Am I the only one that's felt a little bit of that? A little weight, maybe? Mm, Come on now. So what did Jesus say to us? Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's what we're getting at. Here's what we're building here. It's that faith and belief in the good news of the gospel, that is what grants us rest from the striving that we all Continually feel to try to measure up on our own. We can't. We never will. And it's not by doing harder or getting more red out of our ledger or however it is we're going to try to strive and do it ourselves. What does it come down to? What was the thing that kept the people of God from reaching the promised land? What is it that keeps us from being able to enter into the rest that Jesus promises and provides? What is it? It's belief. It's trust. He said, the issue is there was not faith that united their hearing to believing. That was the problem. It comes down to trusting Jesus and trusting his good word. Here's the reality, though. The gospel doesn't just bring us into the place of being able to experience perfect rest. It is what will keep us there for eternity, right? And so the promise of Jesus is that you can come now. Oh, praise God, hallelujah, because I need to come now. I don't know about you. But I need to have the burdens that I tend to lay upon my own shoulders lifted. And I need to pick up his yoke, which is easy. I need to learn from him. But it extends beyond that, right? What what, what do we always say when people pass away? Rest in peace. Why do we say that? Why do we think, why is there this kind of idea we have of, of death being rest? It's because it is when it's in Christ. And this is why Jesus defines our destiny. It is in him alone that we can find rest for our souls from the constant pressure of trying to be good enough. Here's the reality, friends. Even if we were rich enough in this life to never have to work again, we know experientially and we know because we, we can see it. Most of you can see the results of the mega wealthy in, in the media and, 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 and we see that that doesn't bring the kind of joy and contentment that... Uh, that, that we, we, we would be lied to and and, and want, and somebody would want us to believe that it can. It can't. It's a counterfeit. It can't bring us the rest that we need. We know deep down that even if we never had to work another day in our life, we, we would still wrestle with this inner turmoil in our hearts. But the writer of Hebrews continues with the way out of that struggle forever. This is the next set of verses right after what I read you. He says, therefore... Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What's he pointing to when it comes to this piece? It's not do better. It's not be more moral in your own strength. It's holding fast to something. What is it? That good news that was preached. What is that good news that was preached? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just heard it out of the mouth of babes that yes, every one of us has sinned, but yes, Jesus came just as was promised, that he lived the perfect life we couldn't, that he died the death we should have, and then he rose from the grave. Will you cling onto that? Will you hold fast to that confession? The writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's our way. That is where rest is found It's found in the throne room of Christ, and we're invited to come boldly there because of the righteousness that he gives as a gift. Well, how do I take that gift? How do I receive that gift? Oh, friend, it's to trust him. It's to believe. It's by faith that we grab that gift, that we receive it. This great truth allows us to sing with audacious boldness things like this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled and when strivings cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. It's because what Christ has done and what he is doing that we can have that kind of rest that we can talk with that kind of confidence that we know that that rest is not just for here and now but it's something we're going to experience eternally and in even greater and greater measure praise God Jesus came so we can reside with him he came so that we can rest in him Jesus also intends for us to reign with him to reign with him, Jesus came and was stripped of all the prestige of royalty, so that we can reign with him for eternity. Do you guys remember that scene from the movie Aladdin? Uh, the genie had turned uh, Aladdin into Prince Ali, and he's entering the city. Right, so he's turned the monkey into an elephant, and now Aladdin's riding it. This is a pretty striking and uh, point of reference for me because there was a summer when I was a young lad uh, where the only DVD we owned, actually, I think it was a VHS, was Aladdin. And uh, we lived in the mountains and there was not a lot going on. So I think the count was somewhere near 110 times that summer. Uh, So I can actually sing you the entire song that I'm talking about right now. I'm not going to do that um, unless somebody's willing to pay for it later and then, you know, sure. But not right now and not for free. But anyway, so here's the scene, right? He's coming in Uh, the genie's turned him into Prince Ali. The whole thing's to try to impress Princess Jasmine. Uh, And it's a big parade. It's a spectacle. And the whole point of the thing is to announce his arrival, to let everyone know how impressive and rich and powerful and brave and wonderful he is, right? The genie, if you remember, was voiced by Robin Williams, one of the best cartoon, I think, characters in in all of the Disney cinematic universe. Um, You know, he's he's out working the crowd and he's transforming into different things. You know, he's Prince Ali, fabulous he, you know, the whole thing. So that's, that's what he's doing, and, he, and he's, he's going around. He's talking about how strong he is. He's strong as 10 regular men, and he's got 75 golden camels, and I think it was like 53 peacocks. So he's just giving them the rundown, right, on how rich Prince Ali is, how impressive he is. And, uh, and Aladdin's got, you know, he's on top of the, the elephant, and he's got big bags of gold coins. He's throwing it out to the crowd as they sing about how generous he is. And uh, everyone's dancing and singing along, and, and they're celebrating. And, and the sultan, Jasmine's dad, couldn't have been more impressed. He's clapping along. He's just so excited about it. He's super impressed. And, and here's the thing. Why did I reference this? Other than aging myself, because that movie was 1992, I think. Uh, but also, you know, letting you know, I probably know too much about it. What Was there a point besides that? Well, the point is this: this. How Prince Ali comes into... The town there is how we expect royalty to be heralded and received. But it is the exact opposite of what happened when the king of kings arrived in Bethlehem. Instead of coming to a palace, Jesus was born in a stable. Instead of arriving to the sound of trumpets blowing, he was welcomed by sheep bleeding. Instead of royals being alerted so that they could hail him properly, he was announced to lowly shepherds, that were tending their flocks. And you might not think that's that big of a deal, but according to rabbinic literature and other sources, shepherds of the time were not looked upon favorably by many people. They were thought to oftentimes be thieves and not somebody that can be trusted, and it was kind of a uh, a profession that was not looked upon highly. And, and it's, it's shepherds, it's these guys in that context that the angel announces the arrival of Jesus to first. Okay? None of the scene, none of what we read in Luke 2, seems to fit the arrival of the king of the cosmos. And yet, every single detail was ordained by God for the accomplishing of his divine purposes. If if you think the inn was full on accident, friend, you're confused about the sovereignty of God. Every single detail was in place because he saw fit for it to be. He was doing something. And we can see clearly that God intentionally orchestrated the birth of King Jesus into humble circumstances, and we see Jesus continue in his life and ministry to maintain this posture, but we need to ask, why? To what end? Why did he come in such humble means? Why did he stay so humble, knowing that he is the Word made flesh, the King of Kings, Much of the example that we see in Jesus and the process of Christian sanctification, Jesus' example, what God is doing in us, I'm going to make a big statement here. It's training us so that we may one day reign with Christ. It's part of the point of why everything went like it did. And you might be saying, well, I don't really see the connection. Good, because I'm going to show it to you. Let's start. I'm going to read in Luke 22. Okay, this is Jesus teaching. What's the big point I'm making? Jesus' humble circumstances in his birth, his humble posture as he walked out his life and death, a big part of what that was doing was training us to reign with him, showing us what it means to rule from God's perspective. Okay, now I'm going to back it up. I'm in Luke 22. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which of them was regarded to be the greatest. This is the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. In the presence of Jesus. Okay? Sweet. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves you are those who have stood by me in my trials and just as my father has granted me a kingdom i grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel now do you see the direct connection here between jesus teaching on what it so he says the gentile kings do it this way but not like that that's not how we do it right and he goes on to say, give this idea that he gives multiple times in his teachings, that the first should be last and the last shall be first. This is the way ruling looks from God's perspective. I'm showing you, I'm not just telling you, I'm showing you this because I should be the one reclining at the table, but I am here as a servant. And then he goes on to say that they're going to sit on thrones. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, I hear you, but technically isn't Jesus only talking to the disciples there? So, I'm not sure that applies to all of us. I would say, very good observation, and I'm glad you're paying attention. But we're going to push this because this principle unfolds further as we move through the New Testament. Let me read you now Ephesians 2. "'But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus.'" So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's getting broader. But you may say, well, that says seated with him. I'm not sure that means the same as reigning alongside him. And I would say good observation, but consider this. 2 Timothy 2, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. What did that say? If we endure, we will also reign with him. Who, buddy? We're getting closer. But you might say, well, that's only one verse. I'm not sure we should build a doctrine off of one verse. And I would say, That is exactly right. You should never build a doctrine off of one verse. But check this out. Revelation 22, verse 6. This is John, his revelatory vision. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which which must soon take place. This is Jesus speaking. And behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. Did you just hear what the angel said to John? Not only is he the servant of the fellow prophets and the fellow apostles, but who? What did it say? Those who heed the words of this book. In other places, it's said that at some point here, at some point in eternity, and it's not spelled out like like we wish it would be, we're going to sit in judgment of the angels as God's children. I've never really heard this before. I'm not surprised. It's kind of crazy to think about. That somehow, we're going to go from the reason Jesus had to be born in a manger, live the life that he lived, and die in our place for our sins, to reigning next to him. What? I'm just reading you what the book says. When God Here's, here's, what, here's the, the thread that'll tie it together for us. When God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, their job was to tend and care for his creation and to rule over it. God's intention is to restore us back to our original job description. And Jesus shows us what reigning by the law of love looks like when he was born into poverty and lived in relative obscurity until it was time for him to preach the kingdom and then die in our place humbly. The whole point of what I'm giving you here is part of the reason the story of christmas looks like it does part of the reason why we've got manger's in the nativity scene part of why it was shepherds that came and not you know everyone in the royal court Showering, you know, rubies and diamonds and whatever upon the baby Jesus, why it was just shepherds, why the whole thing seems so lowly and doesn't seem to fit the fact that the king of everything is on the scene now. The whole point and all that's happening there is that we are being shown that much of what we think about kingship and reigning and ruling because sin has infected the way we see these things is dead wrong and needs to be flipped upside down. And what God is doing is preparing us for this ultimate destiny of reigning with him forever. And so part of what we need to do right now is start acting like we're being trained to reign with him forever. I had a conversation with somebody today. Somebody that struggles various sins. These sins are ones that if if you were to hear what they are, you would probably be offended just at the at at hearing them. They're they're very overt, very, they're kind of ones we would put in the dirty sin column, right? They're ones like, ooh, that kind of makes everybody nervous to to be involved in that kind of thing. After a long conversation, I just felt the Spirit of God prompt me to say this to him. I said, hey, man, what if you heard that I went out and did A, B, and C, these things that, that you're struggling with that you keep running back to, this vomit like a dog you keep going back to eat? What if you heard that I did that? How would that affect you? He sat there and thought for a second and tears started to flow down his face. He said, that, I, that would, I wouldn't be able to believe it. It's, it's, it. For me to actually think about if I heard that you did those things, my heart would be broken. I said, you need to start thinking about the, the, way, the way it affects you to think if I did it, you need to apply that to yourself. You're no less a man of God than I am. You're no less a son of God than I am. And the whole point of me telling you all that is your mentality about you and what God's destiny is for you affects to some degree what you're willing to entertain, what you're willing to mess with, what you're willing to go back to. You are going to reign in heaven with Christ Jesus one day. Start acting like it. How about that? You weren't ready for that R word, were you? Woo, about to knock the pulpit over and everything. Amen. Amen. Here's the last one I'm going to give you. Reside, rest, reign. The last thing Jesus came to do was to make sure that we can remain with him. Remain with him. Jesus came into the uncertainty of a poor family and persecution and political unrest so that we can have certainty for eternity. He left the opulence of heaven, and came into the uncertainty of this raggedy situation that we just read about in Luke 2. The other gospels record it was it was worse than just having to sleep in a manger and there not being room at the inn. Man, there was persecution immediately from those that would seek after his life. And here, I, I don't have a bunch of riffing off of this. Basically, I'm I'm just going to read you. I'm going to show you a picture from Revelation of our eternal destiny. And I'm hoping that for you, it's as breathtaking to behold as it is for me. This is in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, "Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. And he who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son that for those of you who have trusted in Christ by faith is where you are headed that is the destiny etched out for you praise God that we don't move forward into some unknown blackness but that he has told us all that we need to do to know to move forward with confident hope-filled faith-filled expectation and here why why should i be so confident that these words written by the apostle john are true well I I could give some credit to maybe somebody being a little more skeptical if Jesus showing up in Bethlehem of the line and lineage that he was supposed to in the time that he did and all of the prophecies that for hundreds of years laid out the specifics of how this Messiah was going to come. If Jesus hadn't showed up on the scene just like they said he would, I could see us maybe saying, I'm not sure if I should put all my eggs in that basket. But the reality is he did. He came just like was foretold with a level of specificity that defies us leaving it to coincidence. And so we're left with two options. We will either trust and believe in this Christ who came and who turned the world upside down and still today the world hinges upon his life and teachings or we're going to just reject that and roll the dice going with some other philosophy or some other way. But friends, there is no other way. Jesus said plainly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way. And I know we don't like to hear that. I know we'd like to think there's more, but there isn't. And when we settle with that and we grab a hold of that and we realize how good that really is, that the way God has made is a beautiful way, it's a precious way, that he's, he's done all the work for us, that he's... Jesus didn't show up, do all that he did and say, okay, now you try your best and, and, and we'll hope that at some point this beautiful picture in Revelation 21, that that's, that applies to you. Oh no, friends. He came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when he hung on that cross, the last thing he said is, it is finished. It's finished. And so what you are left with right now is a choice. Are you going to trust in his good word? Or are you going to take some other way? Friends, our king is one of such magnificent and unmatched might that we have no need of concern about our future. Not only will all of his enemies be forever vanquished, but so will every single trace of the damage that Satan sin and death inflicted. King Jesus intends for us to be with him and reign with him forever and ever and ever. This is the destiny of all who will trust him by faith, and what a glorious destiny it is. May we look forward with anxious expectation and faith-filled confidence to our future with Christ. And may we spend every minute in the meantime telling others that he beckons them to come, trust him, and join him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you for all that it communicates. Thank you, Lord, that we do have answers for these questions, these yearning inquiries that seem to trouble our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that by you coming, we, we get a clear picture of where we came from and, and why we're here and, and what it all means, what we should do with this life that you've given us. And God, tonight, you've allowed us to glimpse where we're going. Thank you that we can move forward in hope. Thank you that our purpose is tied to our destiny. Thank you, God, for all that you have done and all that you will do. Thank you that your intention is to be with us forever. Thank you that that's what you've been doing from the beginning. God, we know because you are all sufficient in yourself, you did not need us, and yet you desired us, you chose us, you created us, knowing how much trouble we would be, knowing that this entire drama of redemption would have to play out in order to have that one day, that us and you forever. But God, I thank you that you see it as worth it. Thank you that you're willing to pay the price. God, please allow us to take hope in the things that you have shown us. God, please help us not to try to dig in and and come up with details about the future and what you intend for us that that you have not made plain. That's not the point. God, may we be settled in the beautiful truth (laughs) that you're going to be with us. I I don't need to know what the structures are going to be like in eternity. I, I don't really care. What I care about, Lord Jesus, is that you're there. I just want to be with you, Lord. As I contemplate and I look at your gospel and I understand what it's cost you to be with me, how much you must love me, how much you love us, God, it cultivates in me a desire, a right and good desire to want to be with you. I ask that that would continue to grow in all of our hearts, Lord. Because if we're honest, many times our affections and our attention, they're tethered to this earth. We get wrapped up in in what's going on here. But Lord, you said in your word that a good soldier doesn't get entangled in the affairs of what's going on around, but stays focused on the mission. So God, I know that we have this beautiful future set out for us. You have this ultimate unfolding of your redemptive intention that you've called us even to reign with you. And God, like the Apostle Paul, I just ask that we could We could say that to live is Christ, to die is gain, that we could look forward to that great and glorious day that either you come and you get us or you grant us the great privilege of coming home through death. But either way, may we look forward to that but also understand that every day we wake up and you have given us breath yet again that there's a point, there's a reason. And so God, in the meantime, may the joy and the peace and the rest and the hope that comes And knowing what you intend for us in the future, may it spill out into our efforts of evangelism. And as we share the good news of your gospel with people, may we be able with fire in our eyes to speak of the joyous future you have in store for us. And may what we speak about center upon you, Lord Jesus, that you are our future. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you that it's true. Help us love you more each day. Help us yearn more and more each day for our final reunion with you. Thank you, Lord. I ask you to seal this word in our hearts. Help us to live in light of it that we would not be hearers only. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies